Hey guys, welcome to the One Life Church podcast. We're so glad you're joining us today and we hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. Enjoy the message. It's great to be starting a new series this morning on the book of Nehemiah. Um, for those that you may have remembered, last year we actually looked at a, a couple of books of the Bible. We looked at uh, 1 John, 2 John and 3 John. And for the month of May, we are going to be looking at the book of Nehemiah. We'll get all the short jokes out of the way. Straight from the gate. Ha ha. Yeah, great. But though I was talking to Jim this morning, and Jim was talking about the Shuhamite as well. So maybe Nehemiah's still got a little bit of height on him. Um, I've titled today's message, Living, Living from a Place of Favor. And we're going to look at the, the life of Nehemiah uh, today. I could have titled this message also, Living from a Place of Flavor. Because that's what we're called to do too, isn't it? We're called to be seasoning in this world, to bring, you know, salt to people's lives. But living from a place of favor. And when, when, we, when we think about favor, what do we naturally think about? What, what does your mind generally go to when you think about favor? Well, it might be many things. And I believe that, that most of us, like the rest of us, we can quite often be good at spotting favor in someone else's life. We can see someone that's maybe living in that that, that nice house on the edge of town, you know, in that, in that nice street. Or, and we think, gosh, you know, there's so much favor around about that person's life. They've got the brand new Mercedes in the driveway. They've got the pool. It's just all happening. So your, your, your idea of what favor might look different to what my, my idea of favor might look like, something totally different. But generally, we are pretty good at spotting what we believe favor in, in, in other people's lives rather than, than our lives. But I want us to be reminded today because what we do when we come and gather here on a Sunday is we are reminded. This is a lot of stuff that we've heard before, but we are reminded about what God says of us, living from a place of favor. You know, during my school years, um, the reality was that I was never the kid that was chosen for the sport team. You know, I, it just never happened. And I used to really dread those times when you do sport at school and, and the teacher would go, okay, um, we're going to have a boy captain or a girl captain or whatever, you know, they try to make it fair. And, uh, and then it was the responsibility of that captain to go through the, the class and start to pick people and say, oh, well, I'll, have, I'll have Bill, or I'll, I'll have Jenny, I'll have Jane, I'll have Sue and, and, and whatever else. And, you know, quite often I found myself whittled right down to the end, you know, and everyone's sort of going and you're the, like the last man standing and let me tell you, I need some prayer ministry myself. You know, sometimes it can be tough when you don't feel that, that you know, people value you. But, you know, the, the value that we have uh, from the Word, the value that we have from the Spirit of God far outweighs any value or favor that we would ever perceive from any human being. Jesus and God, they just value you so much. And there's so much favor on our lives that we need to realize that it's not the things that we necessarily possess in the natural. It's not the things that we uh, receive from other people, but it's what we've already received by faith from God. In fact, in Jesus' parable in Matthew, when he spoke about the kingdom of God, you know, we must be reminded about what he said. He said, in his kingdom, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. So I turn around to some of those team captains now and I say, well, you missed out, didn't you? 
But, you know, the reality is that God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. And we often talk about this, that, you know, that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. You see, when Jesus was talking in that particular parable, you know, people thought that they could earn their way in. The religious leaders of the day felt that if they could be pious and, and, and they could give, you know, certain money to certain people and do certain things, and then it would be returned to them and, and God would have certain favor on their lives, but Jesus was wanting to remind them that you don't earn your way into heaven. You know, nothing that we, we do in this world can make us any more favorable to God. He just loves us. God's love is, is unconditional. And it's, it's a marvelous love because when we love or we extend, you know, any sort of grace to someone else, there's often strings attached. But with God's love, there are no strings attached. It doesn't matter about your status. It doesn't matter about your wealth. It doesn't matter about where you live. If you're a child of God, you have his favor. You know, it's a fact that in the Christian life, we'll all experience times of great blessing, but we'll also experience times of great hardship and challenge. And so I guess the challenge comes to us is, is how do we react when we find ourselves in those seasons of life where we don't feel that we are walking in the favor of God and things just don't seem to be panning out the way that we had anticipated them to go. We need to be reminded of what God's word says for us and be encouraged by that. God's word uh, never sets out to promise that any of his children will have a smooth road 100% of the time or to be void of any turmoil or disappointment or setback or, or other various challenges. He does, however, promise to never leave us or forsake us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. And his word also says and, and reminds us that we are his prized possessions. Actually, we're going to look at that in James chapter 1 and verse 18. The Passion Translation says it like this. It says, God was delighted to give us birth by the truth of his infallible word so that we would fulfill his chosen destiny for us and become the favorite ones out of all his creation. Turn to someone this morning and say, you are a favorite one. Now you're going to say it like you mean it. You are a favorite one. Amen. You are. It's, it's the reality. It's the truth. You are a favorite one. The starting point for us is in this, that it's important that we know that God loves us regardless of whether we feel it or not. I love it when I feel God's presence. I love it that God's given us the ability to have emotions and, and feelings and that we can feel and sense God's presence around about our lives. But the reality is that's not always my experience. I had an amazing experience at my water baptism where I came up out of the waters of baptism and I literally saw a vision of God coming down and wrapping his arms around me and embracing me and saying that he loves me. And I would love to wake up every morning. I would love to tell you that my reality is I wake up every morning and, and, and I think about God and I start praying and seeking God and all of a sudden God just comes down and all of a sudden the room's filled and there's this embrace around about my life and I'm so overwhelmed with His love. But the reality is that's not my reality. But God still loves me. God still sees me as one of His favorite ones. And it's just a, a remarkable thing about God's love for us that he sees each one of us as his favorite ones. And I can attest to that, that when I had that experience at my water baptism, it was like I was the only one that mattered. And God loves you with a love that it's like you are the only one that matters. But you're not. But his love is like that. 
on a one basis and on the next basis, on the next basis, on the next basis. He's just so full of favor and love for us. Uh, it's just amazing. It's quite profound. So this morning as we look at Nehemiah, um, we soon learn that, you know, living from a place of God's favor um, has little to do with where we start from. Um, we, can never, we can never live from a place of God's favor from a place of passivity. That is where you're just not doing anything. You know, and, and I know there's been seasons in my life, and I'm sure there's been seasons in your life, where, where, where you find yourself and you go, God, I just don't see anything happening for myself at the moment. I just don't see, you know, things working out the way that I anticipated them to work out. And, um, you know, God's, God hasn't moved. God, God hasn't changed. But I believe that God wants us to get to a place at times where we go, God, I, I recognize my need for you. I recognize that I rely on what you want to do for me. I don't rely on myself. I don't rely on, on setting things up for myself. But God, I'm, I'm reminded about you being the source of everything that I need for my life. But we can't do that just being inactive and inert. We've got to be active in some way. And we can't just be indifferent to God and his purposes for our lives. And Nehemiah certainly wasn't um, a person that was indifferent towards God and what he wanted to do um, for Israel. We, we, we find that, that Nehemiah was living in a time of history for Israel where Israel had been taken away off into captivity by King Nebuchadnezzar into, into the land of the Babylonians and they'd been there for 70 years. And uh, a new king came along that decreed that they could go back from their captivity. Some people went back, others didn't. Um, Nehemiah finds himself actually working for uh, um, a, a king, King Artaxerxes, as his cupbearer. That is a person that actually gets to taste the wine before the king actually tastes it to make sure it hasn't been poisoned. Very, very responsible position to have, just in case someone was trying to knock the king off. He was going to be the first person that was going to get knocked off, if that was the case. And so Nehemiah finds himself you know, operating in a very responsible position. And um, we find that the, the city of Jerusalem... Was, was a place where the walls had been turned down and the gates had been burned. And we're going to pick the story up in uh, Nehemiah chapter 1 and verses 1 to 4. It says this, In late autumn in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews had returned from there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. We pick it up in uh, Nehemiah um, and chapter 1 and verse 11. Um, Nehemiah says this, he says, part of his prayer was, O Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. I didn't actually put that up on the screen, but just prior to that, Nehemiah was going through everything that Israel had been through, and he was talking about all the promises that Moses has talked about, that, that you know, Israel, they were a, a blessed nation, and that God was going to cause them to prosper. But there was also a warning that if, 
if they didn't follow the Lord's decree, then disasters were going to come upon them. And that's exactly what, what we found Nehemiah doing just prior to this part of the prayer. He was saying, God, you know, we've, we've sinned against you. We've, we've, we've gone off course. We've, we've lost the plot, basically. And he was saying, God, look, I just want to repent on behalf of this nation and just believe, God, would you just give us favor that we can see this, this terrible thing turned around? That's what you promised. You promised that you would turn things around for our good if we return to you. Then blessing would come back to our lives and favor would come back, back to our lives. Nehemiah said here, please grant me success by today making the king favorable to me. Put it in his heart to be kind to me. Now let's watch what happens next in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verses 1 to 7. Early the following spring in the month of Nisan, sounds like a good car. It wasn't the month of Datsun, it was the month of Nisan. During the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I never, report, I never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified, but I replied, long live the king how can I not be sad for the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? The king asked me, well, how can I help you? Get this, with a prayer to the God of heaven. Don't you like those little lightning bolt prayers that you do from time to time? You know, some, sometimes you find yourself in that situation and it's like, quick lightning bolt prayer to heaven. With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, If it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked, How long will you be gone? When will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, If it please the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need to make beams for the gates of the temple, fortress, for the city walls, and for a house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. Some translations will read, the favorable hand of God was on me. See, there's several characteristics that I believe that we can observe in the life of Nehemiah and I want us to just have a, have a look at those this morning because this just didn't happen from a place of just sitting on his hands doing nothing. Nehemiah actually did something and so the first character that I believe that Nehemiah had really established in his life was this, that he lived with purpose. I ask you the question today, what is your purpose in life? If someone was to come up to you in the street and say, it's pretty random, hey. But if someone was to come up to you in the street and say, what is your purpose in life? Would you be ready to give a response that was in line with what you believe that God had called you to do? You know, what is your purpose in life? Because we all have a purpose. In what way is your life being directed? Because God didn't call any of us as his children to a life of mediocrity. I'm going to say that again. God didn't call any of his children to a life of mediocrity. He called us to a life that's above and beyond anything that this life could ever experience. He called us to a life that's out of this world. And see, I see that in the life of, of Nehemiah, he was a man that, that lived with purpose. He lived with, with, a, with a knowledge and, and a desire to do and be all that God had called and created him to be. He was working 
as the king's cupbearer at this point in time. But he says, you know what? I'm not going to allow this position that I'm in at the moment to inhibit me from, from another goal that I believe God's calling me to. And I believe that God's calling all of us at various stages of our lives to, to greater things. And sometimes we can just go, oh, well, ho-hum, um, this is my lot in life. But I wonder if we can be encouraged by some of these characteristics in Nehemiah's life that we say, you know what, I'm going to live with purpose. What is my purpose? God, I, I just don't want to go through, you know, 70, 80, 90, 100 years if you're lucky, really lucky. I don't want to just go through that and then just get to the end of it and go, well, that was a lovely life. I want to fulfill the plan and call of God on my life. And I, and I trust that that's your desire as well. But remember that, that God never called any one of us just to live a mediocre life. Secondly, I believe he made prayer a priority. And I can't underscore this enough for us because when we read there in the second chapter of Nehemiah that with a prayer to the God of heaven, that wasn't Nehemiah's only prayer. And you'll notice there throughout the text that, that it was the autumn when Nehemiah got the news. It was the spring when Nehemiah went before the king. See, there was a period of several months that took place there where I believe that Nehemiah just didn't get down on his face once and pray and fast. But there was a season, a conditioning towards God's plan and purpose for his life. Even, I believe, the Holy Spirit would have been moving upon Nehemiah's life, encouraging him that he can be the one that can do this. Because whenever God, I believe, comes and encourages us in pursuing something that he has for us, quite often we can come up and say, you know what? Not me, God, somebody else. I'm not qualified. I've already got this other job. I've already got this stuff going on. But I just believe that God is looking for available hearts. And God's wanting to do that work in our lives, just like he did with Moses, you know, out in the wilderness. Sometimes we can take a little bit of convincing about God's plans for us. But it's, it's so important that we make prayer a priority in our lives, not just the lightning bolt prayers, as good as they can be, but we spend lots of time seeking God and his will and plan for our lives. One thing that we need to uh, realize is that God is after an intimate relationship with us. He wants us to be so close to him. He wants us to be in such union with him. You know, we've been united with Christ, but God wants a relationship with you and he wants a relationship with me above any other thing. He wants that to be priority in our lives, to pursue him. The third thing that I believe Nehemiah did well is he lived by faith. The reality is that the mission for Nehemiah at this point in time was beyond his field of expertise. The Bible doesn't tell us a lot about Nehemiah and, and where he came from, his, his lineage and, and what his dad did for a job and what school he went to and you know whether he was married and whether he had kids. We don't, we don't know that information, but what we do know is that he clearly wasn't at that point in time qualified in the natural for the task that he had to do for the, for the, for the nation of Israel. He was the king's cupbearer, but nonetheless, he chose to live by faith. And he saw that the mission that God has had before him was beyond his natural expertise, beyond his natural gifting and skill. Yet he was willing to go before God and say, God, if it's your will, use me. If it's your will, God, send me. Give me favor in the eyes of the king today. There's a lot of echoes of uh, Queen Esther in that, in that particular story. See, I believe that what we believe will ultimately determine both what we achieve and what we receive. The Bible says that without faith, 
it's impossible to please God. So we must, first and foremost, to be people that live by faith and are willing to, to not look to the natural, not look to the lack of resources that we may have, not look to the lack of skill that we may even have or training that we may have in a certain area, but be people that allow God to use us nonetheless and step out in faith. We need to, we need to be people of great faith. The outworking of Nehemiah's obedience was this. Number one, all his needs were met. We, we read the story of Nehemiah, and, and you can do that. It's, it's not a huge book. But you read through the story of Nehemiah, and every single need that Nehemiah had was met. You know, there was sufficient timber. They were able to organize people to, to look after a certain part of the wall. They were able to resource and strategize that, that the wall got rebuilt within 52 days of, uh, of the start of the work, that the, the, work, the wall got rebuilt again. You know, there's so much favor around about his life that provision just came. And people, you know, even when people got discouraged, he was still able to bring encouragement around about their lives. And uh, we see that all his needs were met. The second thing is that he experienced God's divine protection. And I know that there's been times in my life, and, the, and I'm sure that you can testify as well, that there's been times in your life where you know that God's just gone before you in something. You know, something's happened, there's been a circumstance take place and there's been a threat that's been made or someone, you know, has tried to intimidate you in some way and it's like, well, God, I'm just going to trust in you. God, I, I don't understand what's happening and, and, and I'm just choosing, Lord, to, to let this be your battle because, you know, you say that vengeance is yours and you'll repay and it could be very easy for me to go and find the lawyer or do this and do that and be tit for tat and do whatever else. But God, I'm just going to trust in you. You are my provider. You are my protector. You are the one that will look after my life. See, this is, this is what Nehemiah experienced. He experienced God's divine protection over the Israelites as they were rebuilding. There was threats that came, you know, and we find that whenever we try to do something for the kingdom of heaven, there'll be threats that come from the enemy. The enemy want to say things, you know, and suggest that, you know, you're not called, you're not equipped, you're not this, you're not that. Other people might even physically speak that out over you. But we need to be people that listen to what God says and agree with the voice of God because it's the, the only voice that we need to subscribe to, God's truth. Thirdly, he made good and wise decisions. And there's one thing that I, I endeavor to do in life is to make good and wise decisions. Have you ever thought to yourself, someone really ought to do something about that? There's been a, a circumstance, there's been a situation, maybe you're part of an organization or have been part of an organization and there's a drama, there's trouble. And you say, someone really ought to do something about that. And I was just thinking about the, the testimony that uh, Danielle was talking about this morning out of that book, The Life of the Martyrs, and, and this gentleman that made himself... Um, a slave you know and the sacrifice that was made there see we can we can often be people that see that there's a need or see that something needs to change but we're willing are we willing to invest ourselves in being part of that change are we willing to step out in faith and saying god look i don't think i have much to offer but god i'm just willing i i i see that there's a need i see that something needs to change and something needs to shift god use me god would you just cause things to fall into place you know we can either be people that bring change or we can pe be people that just don't bring change <laughs> we just choose to sit we choose to be passive 
But God hasn't called us to a life of that, has he? He hasn't called us to a life of just being passive. He's called us to a life of overcoming. Faith plus obedience equals trusting God. See, whenever we step out in faith, there's also an element of obedience in that as well. We've got to be people that allow both. Because when we see faith and obedience joined together, that's when we see that we are trusting God. It's not that we're trusting ourselves. It's not that we're relying on our own abilities, but we're, we're applying the faith that God has given us. We're choosing to, to be obedient to what it is that God's called us to. And we trust God. We trust God that he's going to allow things to work out regardless of what we see. See, Nehemiah was willing to do what others weren't, and he was willing to do what seemed impossible as well. I want to remind us today that we serve a God that can do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. We serve a God that, that his favor is upon our lives. And God wants to remind us today to be people that are prepared to count the cost, are prepared to make a difference for him in this world. And I want to remind us today that God's favor is upon your life. As a child of God, his favor is with you. His favor is upon you. In fact, it goes before us. It comes behind us. It comes all in around about us. And God wants to remind us that we can too do all that he has called us to do by faith today. Just like Nehemiah, we can be people that can rise in faith and say, God, use me. I'm willing, Lord. Here I am, available to you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to thank you for your word. Let's invite Jay and the team to come back. That would be great. Lord, we acknowledge that, that there's seasons in our lives, there's times in our lives where, where we can see that, Lord, there's things that you cause to come around about us that we can feel that we're, we're distant from you. We can feel that, Lord, you've even forgotten about us, which is, a, which is a total lie of the enemy. But, Lord, there's times in our lives where we just don't feel your presence. We don't feel that we're walking in your favor. Lord, I pray that, those seasons would remind us to be people that just press in even closer to your heart. Just like Nehemiah, Lord, went before you, Father, with, with prayer and fasting. Lord, he sought, Lord God, resolution. He sought, Lord God, an answer. Lord, let us also be people that constantly look to you, constantly are reminded that you are the source of all that we need in this life. And Lord, regardless of what we see with our natural eyes, regardless of what we're experiencing the natural, that doesn't define our worth in your eyes. Lord, that's not the way your kingdom operates. It doesn't matter what I've got in this world. It doesn't matter what my neighbor's got in this world. What matters is that I've got a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, that's where my favor comes from. That's where our righteousness comes from. That's where everything, Lord God, pertaining to an eternal life with you comes from. Jesus, you are the answer for our lives. Jesus, would you cause your ways to become our ways, Lord? Would you cause us, Lord God, to be more like you? Lord, in word, in deed, in action, I pray, Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord, to follow you. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Your presence is good to us, Lord. Your spirit.